Yama. I'm Camilla Roy and Dungari woman Marley Silva. And this is Always Was, Always Will Be, Our Stories. The podcast where I sit down with some of the most inspiring Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander role models in the country. Before we get into this episode, I want to offer a trigger warning. I'd like to warn listeners, there are discussions of suicidal thoughts and mental health throughout this discussion that may be distressing to some. It is no secret that mental health and particularly depression and suicide disproportionately impacts our mob more than any other Australian group. Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people are nearly three times more likely to be psychologically distressed than non-Indigenous Australians. And most devastatingly, suicide remains one of the leading causes of death for our young ones. The question on how to solve this is difficult to answer, but having upfront tough conversations around it and being able to listen and learn from role models with lived experience and destigmatize going out and seeking help that's one place to start. Today, my guest is powerful Wiradjuri man, Joe Williams. He's an author, the founder of The Enemy Within, a dad and a survivor. He so generously and openly shares his story of a lifelong battle with himself and his own mind and how he has taken his own trauma and life lessons as an opportunity to grow, share and be able to help others who face similar feelings and hurdles. I've long admired Joe's voice and his strength, and I'm so thrilled to be able to share his story with you today. If you are experiencing dark thoughts or struggling with your mental health, that's okay. But what's not okay is not reaching out. You can get help by talking to someone at your local AMS. You could call Lifeline on 13 11 14. Reach out to the people around you who you trust, or if it is an emergency, call triple zero. You matter and you can get better. Just one final thing before we jump into the show. A quick exciting announcement. You guys are getting another bonus episode this Thursday. Stick around until the end of the show to hear who it is. Now, it's over to Joe. Amazing. So I start every single podcast with the same question, that age-old one we know very well as Blackfellas, which is if you could introduce yourself and let us know who your mob is and where you're from. Hey, my name is Joe Williams and I'm a Wiradjuri Walgaloo man. Uh, so the Wiradjuri is the one of the bigger nations out in western New South Wales that covers a massive part of New South Wales. And then Walgaloo is a little tiny one on the border of Wiradjuri between Wiradjuri and Ngunnawal, so down in, now near the Canberra area, so I guess the gateway to the mountains. So I, my both my mother uh, is a Wiradjuri woman, but my father is Wiradjuri and Wogaloo. Oh, great! And where did you grow up? I was I was born out in a little place called Cowra, um, out in Western New South Wales, just over the Blue Mountains, um, and and Cowra was a, I guess you know like. A lot of community, uh, you know, humble beginnings, but in in smaller communities, sometimes can have its challenges um, with racial divide um, with 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 smaller communities. I'll be honest, uh, being a, a younger younger guy when I was back in Cara, then you know, I, we only lived there till I was ten. Um, I sort of did, I didn't see it, but but going back now as an adult, you you definitely see the. You know the undertones, like in a lot of a lot of smaller communities. So, grew up in in Cowra, 
and I lived there till, till we were 10 and then we moved to Wagga. Um, and it was actually a coin toss. I live in Dubbo now, but it was a coin toss between going to Wagga and Dubbo. Um, so, you know, living in both now, I'm, I'm, I'm glad mum and dad went to Wagga. Um, and I, I guess you, you would understand it being the daughter of a, of a, a footy player, um, you know, out in the, out in the country, Footy's a big thing. So, you know, dad was one of those guys having played in the Winfield Cup, um, was caught by, you know, or, or sought after by a lot of, you know, country rugby league clubs. And, and that's how we ended up down in the Wagga area, was dad playing footy uh, down that way in Group 9 in the, in the Wagga competition. I love country rugby league too, hey, because all the towns just get around it and it's like the biggest day of the week. Everyone comes out and watches the footy. Um, so having your dad kind of have that that background, did that play a big influence in um, you growing up and did you kind of always want to play rugby league? Yeah, I was, like like a lot of young blackfellas from the bush, you know, a lot, a lot of young Aboriginal boys everywhere. Um, I, I just wanted to be a footy player, you know, and we'd watch footy on TV and we'd watch footy on the weekends and then we'd, We'd, we'd play footy on the weekends and then every afternoon out in the backyard, I'd be playing against my older brother and then cousins. And it was just that vibe, you know. And um, my dad, as I said, was a was a fairly prominent country footy player and, and played in the Winfield Cup as well. So it was everything I wanted to be was just be a footy player. Um, and for me, I guess, lucky and fortunate that I showed a bit of ability as a young, as a young fella. Um, I started to attract some... Uh, attention from scouts at a fairly young age. Uh, I was 13 when when I signed my very first contract um, down at the Sydney Roosters, but it was it was on the back of being, I guess, sought after by a few different clubs. That you know, I guess with with football these days they get younger and younger uh, with with who they're what they're signing. You know, so um, you know, I was lucky that. I was put on a pathway fairly early um, to be a rugby league player. Mm. And so how many years did you end up playing league for? So I started, I guess, as a kid and then that uh, signed that contract at, at 13, but I was playing out in the bush anyway, like, you know, playing in, in a country rugby league competitions. And, you know, I, I was I was pushed through the grades fairly, fairly young. Um, so I was playing under 18s at 13 year old and then playing first grade the following year uh, as a as a young 14 year old so um, and then 14 15 16 I played in in the first grade competition out in group nine um, which you know it was pretty cool at the time um, because I was I guess I was caught in two worlds you know I was um, I was a young kid during the week at school but then I was treated like an adult on the footy field uh, so I, I was caught between two worlds but you know, with um, I always talk about the two significant things that have happened in, in my life that have, have put me on the pathway to what I do now and who I am now, and that was signing that first contract, which put me on the pathway of playing football and uh, being introduced to uh, elite sport and professionalism and and you know all of that jazz. Uh, but then also a, a fairly severe concussion uh, at a young age as well that started a, a really negative dialogue inside my head that that has had um, and still has effect to this day, uh, which which has been, I guess, the, the, the main 
the main conversation around you know how i got to where i've got to in the space of mental health and suicide prevention and uh, i've had a voice in my head pretty much a, a dialogue like everyone but that that dialogue for me was extremely negative telling me to end my life since i was a 13 year old boy it, it's been difficult but um you know like in the beginning or, or throughout the early years I, I didn't know what it was i i just assumed that everyone went through it you know so um looking back i you know and realizing my behaviors at the time as a young fella again playing with men of a weekend um the 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 uh the the opportunities to to drink alcohol as a young man as well um so i was pretty much alcohol was was the was the band-aid for a lot of what i went through uh i would i would drink as much as i possibly could as a young fella um just to quieten down what was happening inside my head and, and you look at you know playing footy of a weekend you know you play hard and you party hard sort of thing so um for me you know it became you know I, I guess a regular occurrence at a young age but but also a very normalized occurrence with the conversation that you know happens in a lot of communities around you know alcohol misuse was so you've already been dealing with this like negative voice in your your head from essentially as a, as a child is that exacerbated and kind of made more intense when when you move to sydney and and start in the nrl well it, it was it was it, it's it, it exacerbated from the point of telling me that i was worthless and that i was no good to telling me that I was worthless, I was no good, and that I shouldn't be here anymore. And the only way to not be here is if you end it here by you know by your own hands. So um, it, it it progressed over you know a number of years, and and I'm I'm very vocal about the the impact of head trauma and concussions uh, in this space, uh, and and I believe it was my very first. Uh, severe concussion, but which was was the 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 most known memory of uh, what what what, you, what happened, well, what has happened to me. So on the back of that first concussion, did that uh, dialogue start inside my head, um, and has happened right throughout my life. And if you have a look back to what I was saying when I was playing footy, I was just a kid playing against men, so I was getting attacked, you know, every weekend. Um, you know, it's the old. You know, rugby league was—I wouldn't say it was was faster and harder back then, but I'll say it was probably a bit dirtier, and you could get away with a hell of a lot more. Um, so it's the old—if he's good enough to be out here, he's old enough to be out here. Let's see if he's tough enough to be out here, type thing. So um, yeah, like I got—I got head knocks, late shots, you know, uh, right throughout my career as and and being only a little fella as well. Um, and a, and a lot younger than playing against men at the time. So um, that has had what you know quite a significant impact on what it is that I go through mentally and emotionally. Yeah, for sure. That is, it, it's something that I feel like uh, because at the end of the day, um, rugby league and any professional sport is a is a business. They they really avoid kind of talking about because you know my dad's even got stories of he you know as a fullback got coat hanged so many times and 
you know, it would be out cold and they'd have him off the field for a couple of minutes and then as soon as he was, he was all right, they'd put him back on and he doesn't remember any of those games. And, like, you know, yeah, we have the kind of concussion test now, but I, I still think that, yeah, it's only as we kind of get more and more research into this, like, CTE stuff and, and yeah. looking at more brains that Look, we might actually I do think something. it's a sign of the times as well. Yeah. You know, it's, it's probably a sign of the times where – it was, a, it was almost a badge of honour to go back out on the field, you know, mm. after you've been not completely senseless. Um, and, you know, back with the old interchange rules, if you come off, you stayed off type thing. So um, I, I, without doubt, think that the NRL are doing a, a, a lot better job now. But is it is it where it needs to be at? I don't think so. Uh, and again, um, there is recent talks of you know the, the the work being done and the research being done and being backed and applauded by these big end of business um, because let's let's look at it that's what it is it's not a sport anymore it's a business um, but you know some of the guys that I've worked with have most definitely been been hushed because mm. they're finding out too much um, but again all the research is there now um, you know and. There's, there's probably, you know, there's a couple of couple of uh, lawsuits going on and, and all that sort of stuff too. So, um, mm. look, it, it, it's going to get – when people try and silence what it is that's happening, I don't need to have a conversation of if it's true or not because I live it, right? Is it – I don't remember a great deal of yesterday, all right? And that's obviously from playing rugby league but also boxing. Um, so my, my short-term memory is impacted massively. So if you have a look at when it comes to concussions, that's the part of the brain that gets impacted. But the, um, I, I'm, not, I'm not interested whether it's there or it's not because I live it, as I say. I'm interested in how you fix it. I'm interested mm. in, in the work that you do so we can have young kids still out there playing footy. So we can have and we can applaud the game what it is and put the right measures in place you know the, the foods that we eat the exercise that we do the therapies that we do about retraining or rebuilding pathways in our brain to help overcome these tough times mm. and i think that you know to to hear you know how much this impacts your everyday life and um the fact that it, it's yeah, gosh, it must be debilitating and frustrating at times. Um, but, you know, in spite of it and in spite of the the kind of demons that you've fought and things that you've overcome, you have emerged as this really prominent voice um, for for people who go through a, a similar thing and a mental health in, in general. And I, I wonder kind of what was the turning point where in your life you, you kind of went, okay, I'm going to be vocal about this and I'm going to um, start talking about it because, you know, it's not right. When I realised that 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 I could relate to people um, or people's story related to mine, um, and that was on you know that wasn't until I started talking about it. So I went from a suicide attempt in 2012 to not speaking about it publicly until 2014. Um, so I had to do the work that I had to do mentally and emotionally and personally to get to that point, right? Um, to feel comfortable to be able to do it. And if we look at the, again, the times, no one spoke about it then. You know, if we think there's a stigma about mental health now, think about what it was like. Firstly, you know, as, as going through this stuff as a kid and then playing in the NRL, um, I didn't want to be a liability to 
the team through a misunderstanding and miseducation around what it is that I go through with with the team. But um, you know, and 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 then out there speaking about it, you know, I, I first started talking about it in two thousand and twelve, and it was on the back of the very first time that I started talking about it. So many people came up to me saying, "You know what, Joe? You've just put a voice to." what it is that I go through and what it is that I struggle with every single day inside my house. And I can't tell my husband, I can't tell my wife, I can't tell the boys at footy training because I don't want to feel like I've got this. And that's what the stigma is, right? Is that this, this, I don't want to feel like I can't the old saying of pull up my socks, you know, toughen up, you know, that, that, that sort of stuff. So, um, and I got a little bit of pushback, I'll be honest. You know, a lot of people said, well, well you're not a professional. You can't speak about this. And I'm like, well, hang on a minute. Um, I, I've been to professionals and um, I was the one who put the steps in my life to help me get to where I am now from the age of 13, you know. So maybe it is what I do that can help people. Um, so... When I was talking in schools and things like that, I, I said, I'm not a professional, I don't claim to be, but, but I can be a conduit between the young people that are struggling like this and the professional. So if I talk to young kids and talk to even adults and say, well, hang on, I go through this, it's all right to get some help. Let's start to talk about it. When we do talk about it, we feel better. Um, then people can relate to that and go, well, if, well, if he does it, as a former athlete, maybe I could do it too. Um, so it's a conversation starter. A lot of what I was doing is going into schools and just facilitating conversations, giving a voice to the voiceless. Do you find that um, you, you've seen a bit of a change in the way that particular young people um, feel about talking about mental health? Because I feel like it's it's a lot more in the media, but I, I wonder if it if it translates into practice. Well, here's the thing, right, is that we, for so long, we thought that that talking about this stuff or not talking about it was a sign of weakness. And that's what the stigma was, right? Is that, you know, we've got all this, all these people saying we want to reduce stigma, right? And, and that's fantastic. But what I believe stigma is, is what we go through doesn't allow us to speak because it convinces us that we're no good. It convinces us to stay silent. It convinces us that no one cares, right? So that the stigma isn't out there in community. The stigma is in here, in your own head, telling you that your voice isn't worth it. Your voice isn't going to empower someone else. They wouldn't care. They've got their own problems. You know, that they don't want to hear what you go through. And that's why it's important because it's to talk about this stuff because it's 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 silencing what it is that's going on in your own head that's telling you not to talk about it and by giving a voice and and validity validating what it is that you go through which then decreases the pain and emotional pain that you are that you are experiencing mm, it, it is true i think trying to flip that that understanding that I think 
Yeah, I've I've never heard it explained like that because it's it's right. The enemy. I mean, well, that's the that's the name of your whole thing. The enemy uh-huh. within. There you oh, go. <laughs> right, and that's why. That's why it was the enemy within because I went against some guys on the footy field that were tough and strong, and then I went against guys in the boxing ring that wanted to belt me teeth out. But nothing that I ever come up against physically was comparable to what I went through mentally. Mm. Right, so. That's why it's important to start to voice these type of things because when we voice them, uh, again, we let, let's have a think about it, right? Now, your, your parents, if you were struggling and everything inside your head was telling you that no one cared, if you went to your parents and said, mum, this is what I feel like, this is what it's telling me, how do you feel about that? Every mum on the planet would be like, I love you. I I will do anything for you. I will I will go to the end of the earth for you to make you feel better. So it's our head that convinces us. That's why the, that's why I say the stigma isn't out in the world. The stigma is inside us telling us that no one cares. Mm. Because in reality, everyone cares. Our our, our closest people care about us. Mm. Now I rang up and I said to my to my mum, mum, I you know I felt that you didn't care. You know, I say to my kids, I feel that that you don't love me as a dad. Mm. And it's like, you know, like how, when you think about it, how how, how ridiculous did that sound? Mm. Of course our mums love us. Of course our kids love us. Of course the people who are most close to us love us, but it's our head that convinces us otherwise. That's what depression is. Mm. It's our head that convinces us. That's what this evil illness is. Convinces us that we're worthless. Convinces us that no one else cares. Convinces us that we don't matter. Mm. And I think that the scary thing about the the current situation that we're in, you know, on a global level, is that unfortunately a lot of people are, are locked up with just themselves and their own thoughts like that. So I imagine that's something that can be really troublesome um, for a lot of people. Do you think because of particularly now that most of our conversations are having to be, you know, even like this one we're having right now is virtual because we can't see each other in real life, can that still hold a lot of power in connecting online? I know you have a, a really strong voice on social media and stuff and um, sometimes like, you know, because similarly all my voice is on social media too, I get worried that is this really having an impact to did the things that people read that we write matter? I think that they do, and that's why that's why I started to do a lot of do a lot of writing. Um, that's why I started to blog. That's why I wrote my book. Um, is it because people related to that? And when and 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 a lot of there's a you know a lot of parents out there that that want to buy my book for their for their kid, and they're like, how do I give it to them without making them feel? that I'm pushing it in front of them. I feel like, just put it on the bedside table. You know, like plant the seed and watch it grow. Mm. You know, the, 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 that's that's the most important thing. And that's why I share a lot of things on social media. Uh, the current climate of how we are and how we have to interact right now, I get that a lot of people and us as humans need connection, right? Um, I, I, I listened to a podcast recently by a guy called Johan Hari. Who, who, does, who does a lot of work around addiction, but but the but, but the 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 core of of his 
conversations is around connection of people. And he says that we as people are the most disconnected that we've ever been on in, in, in the world, in history, it's because we do this stuff. You know, we, we, we are talking uh, virtually. Um, you have a look at us as Aboriginal people. You know, yeah, we didn't have Zoom or Squadcast, you know, back in, you know, 20,000 years ago, 100,000 years ago, but we were connected as people. You know, we were a communal people. That's why we were well. That's why that there were zero suicides. That's why that mentally and emotionally, we talk about this connection. My opening slide in all of my sessions is about connection, right? And it's it's not just people think, oh, you're an Aboriginal man, you're talking about connection to culture. No, it's not just connection to culture, it's connection to people, connection, having conversation, connection to whether it be online, whether it be in person, just connection, connection to the ground, to the earth. You know, the studies show that, that the earth sends radiating energy to help us heal, you know, to get outside and take your shoes off and connect to the earth. And again, that's why our mob were well. We didn't walk around with shoes. You know, we had no choice to, but to connect to the earth, right? So um, connection is a massive, massive one. Uh, whether it's connecting like this, whether it's connecting in person, whether it's just connecting to someone's voice through online material, um, connection is the key. Mm. It is. And I think that also... Um, you know, maybe particularly in the minds of young people, they don't understand the weight of that connection and connecting to everything that you do, maybe thinking it's, it's kind of, you know, doesn't mean much or whatever, but I I have seen that it's been nice that I've, you know, been contacted by people I haven't heard from in years because of COVID, you know? So I think there can be some silver linings and, um, you know, our, our community is overrepresented in, in this whole um, area of mental health, which is is really unfortunate. Um, with you know, particularly the crisis we've seen with a lot of our young people in remote communities and, and things like that. Do do you get to talk to much mob in in those areas, or um, have you seen anything that? Because a lot of people kind of reach out and are like, oh my gosh, this is like they're really horrified by what they hear, and this is mob and non indigenous people who aren't in those areas. Um, What's something that the the kind of everyday person should know about that or um, understand in terms of, of how we can kind of move towards solutions there? It's a difficult one, you know, because it's multi-layered. Um, you know, when we're looking at, at just as Aboriginal people, you and I, the conversation that we have is that, you know, we're looking at a lot of everything that happens in community, all communities are... And a lot of funded uh, funded uh, programs that happen in communities with respect aren't addressing the root cause. You know, so uh, I'll say it bluntly, and, and this is what I said in my acceptance speech last year at the Australian Mental Health Prize uh, when I was fortunate enough to be dual winner um, to that. I said, everything that we're doing in communities is a band-aid. We're just throwing money at problems that aren't you know, going to the root cause of what's causing them. You know, So we know that we're over, overrepresented in, in certain areas and you know, a lot of negative behaviors that happen in and around community are caused by something. 
I'm more interested in what it is that's causing it rather than if there's enough money to keep it quiet. You know, because once the money dries up, the sore is still there, right? So uh, a lot of the work that I do now, obviously, around suicide prevention has changed a lot to, um, to trauma recovery. Uh, and, and if we look at a negative behavior, we look at what's causing the negative behavior. Um, a lot of the time is alcohol and drugs. Alcohol and drugs is a Band-Aid for something else. You pull away the Band-Aid, what's underneath that is, you know, is pain and trauma. So uh, a lot of the work that I'm doing now, and I've just written a program uh, that, that hopefully is going to be implemented very soon to be piloted out in the, the, the western New South Wales area, uh, out, where I, out where I live. Um, and it's about trauma recovery. And it's about trauma recovery and finding out and listening to what goes on inside our heads. Listening, that, that deep inner listening that we talk about that you and I and everyone has. Everyone has this deep inner voice. So it's listening to that voice and, and finding out what it's telling us and finding out what makes that voice louder, which is finding out, you know, what's underneath those Band-Aids um, and addressing those, um, you know, so and, and, and tips and tools and uh, strategy to be able to come around this, this, these difficult situations that we find ourselves in that a lot of the time we're just Band-Aiding with alcohol and drugs and violence. And that's that's all communities, every community, um, no matter who they are, where they're from, black, white, green, purple, I don't care. We're using substance, whether it be alcoholic or drug substance or something else like violence, something else like, you know, uh, other, other means. So um, for me, a lot of my trajectory of work has changed a lot to, I, I won't be going out to communities as much as I have been the last five or six years, I'll be concentrating on on the little patch where I'm at and uh, trying to implement some some real change because you know when we look at the uh, the out of home care system, um, you know that 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 needs some needs some work without doubt. But we're we're looking at that um, we're looking at as many kids being taken away from parents than the stolen generation. So it's about trying to trying to help help those young kids that are being removed, but also why they are being removed. So helping the parents, you know, understand that and, and, and stopping the cycle. Mm. And it all goes back to causation, hey. Like I think that unfortunately there's a narrative that's accepted that people are in a particular situation, you, you know, exactly what you were talking about of that um, – alcohol abuse or, or whatever, any kind of abuse is that Band-Aid. Um, people, a lot of people don't accept the fact that people are hurting for a reason. They don't just wake up one day and decide to do that. And that's exactly the same in the foster care system when parents can't look after their kids. That's their hurt and everything as well. To kind of go the opposite end of Sorry, the, I don't understand. That is I the, found something else. That's my Google Home, and this is the second so time that this has happened in the middle of a podcast. I don't know why it does that. Thinks so I say, "Okay, please go away now." Anyway, can we, make sure that that, can we make sure that that part is still in the actual podcast? <laughs> okay, yeah, it's all, it's all, all raw here. Please, oh my god, back on. Slide the switch on the back Google Shut up, Google. My point being that nice to go. Work. 
be not be nice to her, I and mean, it might be a little bit different. You're telling okay. you, you know, you're telling her, shut up, Google. You know, like, come on, sis. Like, let's, let's work together. With you. Sometimes <laughs> she's she's hopeless. So, um, but to go from you know we're talking about like grassroots, and you know, I totally agree that you, you kind of have to focus on in small areas because we really are a continent and every single community has different ways that need to, you know, address particular issues and everything. But I think that on the other side from this kind of top down, bigger picture thing, um, the way that we, our media treats high profile Indigenous people has an impact on, um, I think, I think it has a bigger impact on how we think non-Indigenous Australia thinks about us. Like I know that you've been um, vocal on the way that Latrell Mitchell's been attacked in in the media for the last a year now, I guess, and, um, you know, particularly around the Anthem stuff last year and, and um, you know, actually I wrote an article and, and quoted you in it um, because you'd uh, uh, chosen not to sing an anthem when you were playing it and things like that. And obviously, um, been in the media with that stuff as well, and I and I just think that it all kind of comes together in our understanding of of what the country thinks of us when we see that sort of stuff. And do you think that plays an impact on on our own self perceptions as well, and kind of what we're capable of because of the way that people who are succeeding are treated? When we're constantly talked about in a negative light, it, it, it's going to have impact on us, right? Am I really like that? Do I really feel like that? You know, and 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 you can understand, you can understand where there are some people out there that would say, I don't want to, I don't want to put myself in that position to be to come under this sort of attack. You know, and so so I can understand that um, you know that there are players that sit in the box a little bit, and that's in no disrespect to them, because again, like. Look, look at the impacts. You know, if Latrell wasn't as mentally strong as he is and didn't have the support that he does around him, that could really end poorly. It can really end in a really negative way. Um, so, and firsthand, the, the racism with that sort of stuff that, that comes with it, you know, like everyone in, 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 in the country, uh, and there is a hell of a lot, of people that say there's no, you know, there's no racism or racism is better than what it was. You know, yeah, it's better than what it was, right? But it's still there, right? And how we get to a better place is to continue to call this sort of stuff out. Because if we ignore it, what we ignore is what we accept, right? So you can understand how there's there's a lot of young people that, that would understandably sit down and say, I, I don't want to step outside this line, you know, because the, the, it can it can fall on the... If Latrell wasn't Mitchell wasn't Latrell Mitchell and the number one player in the game, you know, if he's, if he's a fringe first grader, is it does it happen differently? You know, if he's a first fringe first grader, is he then pushed out? You know, they're, they're the legit questions that we need to ask. And if... if if, if those sort of things happen, then we aren't learning. And and, and I've I seen a couple of times, and, and I commented about it as well, but I've but I seen, I think it was Danny Tease Johnson, uh, so I, that was the first person I saw uh, write something about it. And he's like, 
the treatment of Latrell Mitchell shows that we learnt nothing about Adam Goods. Mm. You know, and <laughs> like everyone, like I, I, uh, uh, I was talking to a non-Indigenous friend when uh, Stan Grant's documentary was on, was on telly, mm. and um, you know they were like, make sure you, you know, when you watch that documentary look after your spirit, really look after yourself of who you are, Joe. And I'm like, this stuff ain't new to us. No. You know, it, it, it's horrifying to you because you don't see it. Like we see this every day. I, I had an incident just last week in a local Woolworths where a, 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 a worker referred to a customer as an abo. And I was like, Pardon, but you know, I, I called her on it. Um, you know, and and yeah, that you know, I copped some 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 messages. You know, that didn't happen, and you know, you're just making this up for attention. Oh yeah, I, I don't do this for me. I do it for my kids and their kids and their kids. You know, it, it ain't about me. But you know, if if I can if I can say one positive thing and a really positive thing is that I think we're coming forward. Because there's a, there's a stack load of non-indigenous people that 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 day when that happened to me just recently, three three non-indigenous people come up to me and said, "Joe, good work on that. You know, thanks for doing that, man. Because that that stuff shouldn't have happened. You know, like I, I I always quote this, and people say, "Do you think racism is getting better?" And I say, "Look at the 2000 Olympics when Kathy ran with the Aboriginal flag." Some of the Olympic Committee nearly had heart attacks. You know, uh, I won't mention names, but there's there's prominent people within that that Olympic Committee that near had conniptions, right? Fast forward to the 2016 or you know the the, the Commonwealth Games, and the the opening ceremony was all about Aboriginal culture. You know, 2016 or 18, or I'm I'm horrible with dates, but that 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 recent Commonwealth Games that was in Australia was all about Aboriginal culture. You know, and that to me proves that things are going better. You know, things are getting there. We're not there yet, but we are improving, which progress is a positive thing in my eyes. Mm. I think it's it's always going to be moving slowly. And I, I'm kind of, I get that hope and that little um, kind of boost of the positive progress from my generation. I feel like they're... Um, far more educated and at the least know how to keep their mouth shut if they've got nothing nice to say. So um, it's definitely getting better and it it makes me excited, especially because, um, you know, our our rising kind of voices as a collective are so varied and have all these different experiences that are painting, you know, not such a, a mono picture of what an Aboriginal Torres Strait Islander person is. So, you know, here's the thing with me is, right, I, I always look at people, people's behavior, okay, and, and I always look at why, okay, why, why is somebody saying that, you know, why, why is somebody having that reaction, you know, is it the fact that their privilege has been questioned, is it the fact that this resembles what they think, you know, is it a fact that we're starting to now call people out on what is what was accepted behavior is now not accepted you know so i'm not this is something i always refer to as well is that the first people who got off the boats were taught and told that 
the Aboriginal people on the land knew nothing, were worth nothing, and they're worthless, right? Um, and then they taught their kids that. 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 And here's where we are today, all right? But imagine if the first people who got off those boats were like, wow, this is 100,000 years of rich history and connection and astrology and medicine and, you know, all of this spiritual beauty. Imagine the, the dialogue change of what we would have now, you know, but I think it's getting there. You've only got to look at the conversation around Aboriginal healing, the conversations around, you know, what our old people used to do, our interaction, you know, and, and, and knowledge of astrology and the stars and, um, you know, the cultural stuff that for us, mob on the East Coast, had all taken away from us. But if you're lucky enough to go right throughout the country, which I'm extremely fortunate to have some really beautiful interactions right around the country, um, you realize that there is so much that, that hasn't been taken away that is absolutely beautiful and that so much of non-Indigenous Australia can learn from if they're just willing to sit down. And let's put that pride in the back pocket a little bit uh, and learn. And, you know, when we start to learn about the truth of this country, we'll start to get an empathy. When we get an empathy of, wow, my people did that, you know, then empathy brings compassion. Compassion brings acceptance and love. So true. Well, I won't keep you too much longer, but um, thank you so much for sharing this wisdom in, in this conversation and always, I think that, um, you know, a lot of people appreciate the ways that you, you know, are bravely out there just telling it how it is and it definitely makes a difference. So I wonder what's in the immediate future for you. Um, I know you said you just written this program. Is that the next big focus? Yeah, um, I've just written a draft to a kid's book as well. Oh, well, that's um, exciting. Yeah, but, uh, I wouldn't say kids as in uh, picture book. I would say kids as in young adolescent from the mm. age of, say, 11 to 12 to 14 or 15. Um, and it, it's about behaviour management and it's about uh, getting to understand there's, you know, the, 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 actual, the actual draft or, or book, as we'll call it, um, is about, you know, building a conversation, building a relationship between uh, non-Indigenous Australia and the first people. Um, I don't use the word reconciliation. Um, to reconcile is to uh, mend a broken relationship. And let's be honest, there wasn't a relationship and there hasn't been one. So we need to start one. Um, and how we start one is through shared empathy. Um, so that book is, you know, what's exciting me at the moment. Um, I'm also um, partway through a uh, going back to do some study. Oh, cool. Uh, which, yeah. Uh, so I've got the three big things on my list this week was uh, work out all the logistical stuff to, to get this program started, uh, my kids' book, and then uh, some study that I'm doing next year, which um, it's pretty exciting. It's pretty cool. Um, what I'm going to be researching and documenting um, so that'll give you a bit of a hint in what I'm doing, mm. uh, what I'm going to be researching and documenting, um, 
will hopefully change the landscape of how we view different things uh, from a Western-based system to a uh, First Peoples-based knowledge system um, put into the White Academy um, to, you know, to, to educate further on the, the existence and the, the practices that, that have worked and always worked for us. That sounds amazing. You're definitely very busy, um, but it's exciting stuff. And look, I think, yeah, as I said, thank you so much for this um, conversation and um, good luck with everything. I look forward to seeing it keep evolving and keep changing the conversation. Mate, thank you so much uh, for, for firstly asking me to be on but, and because I was, when I saw Titters for Titters, you know, and when it, it all came to life and I was watching it grow and I was like, man, I want to be part of that. And then I was like, I'm not a titter. So, you know, I thought <laughs> it was a little bit, you know, awkward. But, um, you know, I, I, I just, I, I love seeing uh, the voice of Aboriginal women um, get its strength, you know, and, and, and regain its power um, to, you know, Aboriginal women have been running our communities for you know, thousands of years. So, um, you know, always respectful of that. And thank you so much for inviting me on to have a little bit of a conversation. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of Always Was, Always Will Be, Our Stories. Thank you, Joe, for your unwavering strength and commitment to helping other people with your own mental ill health journey. If you want to learn more about Joe or the work he does, you can follow him on Instagram or Twitter. You can also follow The Enemy Within on social media, or you can grab a copy of his novel, which is called Defying the Enemy Within. Now you've hung around, I can let you know, this Thursday, you're going to be getting a very special bonus episode from an incredible Koori woman named Dr. Erica Chapman Burgess. She will be sharing her story of getting into the world of medicine. It's very inspiring. The importance of our health in our hands. And very, very importantly, she will be shedding light on the steps we all need to take as COVID restrictions ease back in some parts of the country. If you are enjoying the show, make sure to subscribe on wherever you're listening to us right now. Give us a good rating if you're enjoying it. Leave a comment or follow us on social media at Always Our Stories. This podcast is written, hosted, produced, edited, the whole bit by me, Marley Silva. And I do so on the unceded lands of the Dharawal people south of Sydney. And I pay my respects to their elders past, present and emerging. Stay deadly and I'll catch you next week.